Hello there and welcome to another segment from our preaching series on the Sermon in Mount in Matthew. My name is Will Roper and I am an elder here at Grace City as well as being on the leadership team. And let me say good morning or good afternoon or good evening or whenever or however you are listening to this in this time of novel coronavirus or COVID-19. It's a crazy world we're living in right now, but I am so glad that we as a church have been fantastic at just cracking on with still being a church despite the orders from government to isolate. Yes, we are isolating, but we are isolating as a community. And although it is a responsibility, I also consider it a real privilege to continue in preaching to you all and write into your homes, no less. Maybe that suddenly made it very weird for you. Don't worry, I'm not actually in your home. I can safely say I'm in my usual residence. And I know that Matt Luard last week said that he was having to compete with opera singers in his building. Well, this week you may hear singing and warbling of a different kind as my son Jack, whilst being looked after by his mother and my wife Holly, has three different styles of communication right now. The first is a gentle and heartwarming cooing like that of a smiling, gurgling wood pigeon that's just been fattened with milk. This next is a bit more excitable, like a Scotsman at a Cayley or a Highland dance. The last I would quite accurately describe as a pterodactyl from Jurassic Park, which I won't imitate for you. So if you're lucky, you may hear one of these. And now I've got my excuses for audio quality out of the way. It's time to get to the sermon. But before we dive into this sermon today and read our passage from the book of Matthew, let me ask you this. Why is it that we think emotions aren't very spiritual? Why do we think emotions and religion or emotions and God don't fit together? We see it in films, don't we, like in the Star Wars series. You hear a small green alien whose name is Yoda say, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Here Star Wars is telling us that really spiritual people shouldn't feel things. How dare you? We imagine the holy man or holy woman as a stern-faced stoic. More about thinking deep thoughts about the meaning of life rather than messing around with those pesky emotions. But if you're like me, you do feel things. Thankfully, Jesus knows this. And you know what? He does talk about emotions. And he even talks about the ugly ones. In fact, we're going to read some of these, those words of Jesus today. What does Jesus have to say about the ways that we feel? What does Jesus say we do with emotions that we don't want? So let's read Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So now let me ask you this. How are all of you at handling anger? How do you feel about being angry? Does it make you ashamed, or is it actually something you enjoy? 
a chance to let a buildup of emotions get off your chest. And how does that anger manifest? How do you display your anger? For me, anger can take a few forms. For me, there are the little irritable day-to-day things like how my wife, whom I do love very much, in her excitement for starting a new packet of milk, will joyfully discard the old packet into the kitchen sink. Now, if she was going the extra mile, she would pick up that packet and put it in the garbage can, which is right underneath said kitchen sink. I would like to say that I, in my happy marriage that I would not sink so low as to be petty and point this out to her every time. However, that self-righteous indignation rises up within me until I say, Darling, what do we do with the empty milk packets? Should we maybe put them in the garbage? However, this loving series of questions I pose to my wife is normally responded to in kind with sarcastic comments. And so we trade verbal points like fencing until I decide, I'm too busy for this and march off to my office upstairs. This is, of course, a mostly comical example, although maybe not ideal. Or a more serious example from my life is from my high school days when I was about 14 or 15. I used to get teased by a few boys at school in the locker room because I was a bit chubby at that phase of my life. They used to call me names and I wouldn't call it full-on bullying, but it certainly wasn't nice. And one day, I just couldn't take it anymore. Because it was happening every day, every time we were getting changed in the locker room. So I chose the biggest lad of them all, calmly walked up to him, and then punched him as hard as I could in the stomach. But being the biggest guy in the locker room, he also happened to have a rock-solid six-pack. I mean, I should have known better, because at the time, we also played rugby together. And I probably hurt my hand a lot more than I hurt him. And he didn't flinch at all. And he, along with everyone else in the room, just laughed at me. So I quickly got changed and left the locker room. And I made a decision from then on not to react violently to things, to not let anger get the better of me. Because that's when you are at risk of losing control and doing more damage than good. And it genuinely scared me that I could calmly lose control and then channel that into violence. Thankfully, other than a few scraps on the rugby pitch when the referee wasn't looking, and sometimes when he was, I haven't been involved in a violent, angry incident since. God has given me control as I've sought to pursue him and his peacemaking ways. For the Bible does say, blessed is the peacemaker. And I aim to live that out, not just in my actions, but also in my heart. And saying that it's not just about actions, but also the heart is one of my key points Jesus is trying to make in this passage we are looking at in Matthew 5. You will notice that Jesus, right at the start of the passage, says, You have heard it said. This is a key phrase, as it is said numerous times as Jesus progresses through the remainder of his sermon in this chapter. In this phrase, he is referencing the Pharisees and the scribes, the law lovers and adders honours. These people not only loved to point out to other people and state how they are failing in meeting the law's requirements, but also like to interpret the laws in their own ways so as to suit their own purposes. Or even in their love of the law, they have just completely missed the heart behind the law. So why is Jesus talking about a law, about murder, and then talking about anger? He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The answer is twofold. Firstly, Jesus is referencing an old law about murder, and in so doing, is implying that the Pharisees have completely missed the point of the law. 
It's not just about wrongfully killing someone, an obvious and completely logical rule to have in place to protect society that most people are capable of doing. The problem is the Pharisees have lowered the intended, intended sanctity of the law that's there to protect life and relationships between people and have lowered it to a mere courtroom legality. They would twist the meaning of this law to say in a dispute between two injured parties, well, so-and-so was in the right when they killed this other person. Therefore, it's not murder. Or another example that they might use would be, this person almost killed this other person, but it's okay because they didn't actually go through with it. What this type of attitude towards God's law creates is a group of people that can think whatever they like in their heads, so long as they don't act it out. They can hate someone and wish them dead, but as long as they don't actually do it, then it's okay. And that type of logic can trickle into many other types of sin. This type of attitude is not okay. Which is why Jesus then goes on to say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wow. If ever there was a game of one-upmanship, Jesus just won it. And he is saying that yes, there is this actions-based law, but what you are missing is the heart behind it. And the heart is, you shouldn't even be angry with someone lest it lead to hate and then the physical action of murdering them. Do you all know how hard it is to live that perfect life that you can't even think bad things about others? Jesus is calling not just them, but all of us to a higher standard. Among some of, the, of my non-Christian friends, they hold the opinion that the Old Testament is where you have the tough rules. But in the New Testament, you've got Jesus and he's nice and he's cool because he's not about the rules. Let me correct you there, my friends. It's worse than rules. Jesus goes straight for the juggler in this fight. He wants the heart to be in the right place because Jesus knows what it's like to be human and feel things. So he knows that before actions, there are emotions that fuel those thoughts and fuel those actions. Which leads me onto the second part of the answer of why Jesus brings this up. As I've just said, these emotions lead to thoughts, which lead to actions. So we have to keep this in check. You've heard me say in previous video updates during this virus epidemic that we're living in right now, that it's okay to feel things. That feeling something isn't a sin in itself. But it's what you do with that feeling that determines whether you're going in the right direction or not. I would argue that no one, or at least the vast majority of people, don't automatically start in the position of anger on something. Anger is a reaction to something that is not liked or agreed with. If you look up the definition of anger, you'll find something like, noun, a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Verb, to fill someone with anger, provoke anger in. So we use the noun version of anger to put a name on the feeling that someone is feeling. But it starts as a verb, it's a progressive feeling. Someone is filled with anger. So at that point of being filled and provoked, we have to analyze and then choose. We first analyze and think, am I justified in feeling this anger? Is this a righteous form of anger from God? Or am I sinning in choosing to dwell in, sit in and cultivate this unjust emotion? Either way, we have to choose if it is righteous. We need to pray about it and ask God for guidance in writing whatever injustice is happening. Or we choose to apologize to God for allowing this emotion to grow. And we ask for his guidance on getting rid of it. Sometimes this involves finding the person and apologizing to them, regardless of whether they know your heart at all. And Jesus goes on to say this as well. And he doesn't preach sitting around thinking about it. 
He calls us to quick, decisive, resolvable action. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Jesus says if you are offering a sacrifice to God and you have wrongful anger in your heart because someone has wronged you or vice versa, stop offering your spoiled and blighted sacrifice to God. Go sort it out with your brother or sister. Resolve it. Then come back. Or as we found out last week, we don't do sacrifices anymore because Jesus has died and rose again. And now we remember that by doing communion. So next time we are all meeting back together and taking communion together, don't even think about taking that bread and wine if there is a quarrel between you and a member of this family we call Grace City Church. God does not want you taking communion until there is peace and love between you. This is serious. This is serious, friends. We as a church, as a family, have to fight for each other, fight to think the best of each other, to love each other, fight for unity and togetherness. And it all starts with that little irritation or disappointment or feeling of hurt and how we react to that. And this isn't just some abstract idea from the Bible about emotions and actions, it's real. I went onto the Stats Canada website whilst preparing for this, and a few years ago now, a report was done on how many homicides were reported in a given year across the whole of Canada. And the rate of first-degree murders or premeditated murders in that count was 50%. A chilling stat, but the rate of the second-degree or reactionary crimes of passion was a very close second at 41%. That's very telling of why God points out that anger in most circumstances is not good. And anger on those unhelpful things distracts us from God. It takes our hearts and our eyes off of him. My driving instructor when I was 17 was a man called Terry Friday. They called him the Screaming Skull, not because he screamed all the time or was a skeleton, but because he used to be a traffic cop that rode around on a motorbike with a white helmet before he decided to teach nervous teenagers like myself how to drive. He did, however, used to shout with glee, Have you got that Friday feel-good factor? Whenever we had a lesson on a Friday, or if I did something especially well. But he also used to say, when turning corners or pulling out of junctions, always do your double checks before moving. But once you start moving, always look where you're going, because the car, and by default you, will move in that same direction. And if that doesn't happen, then you'll probably crash or do something stupid. So don't get distracted by other things. Focus on where you're supposed to be going. And I feel that is also true of us and our emotions. If we dwell on certain emotions, then that's where we shall dwell. And it will have an impact, impact on our day. It will impact how we see things and how we do things. Now, obviously, God has given us all sorts of emotions. That's part of what makes us human and made in his image. Not all emotions are bad. God himself has emotions. And we, being made in his image, get to experience those same emotions. You know, there's an emotion called joy, which helps us celebrate things. There's an emotion called sadness, which helps us process difficult things. There is excitement, which helps us get good things done. My point is, sometimes certain feelings like anger can be unhelpful. So if we dwell in and allow emotions like anger to take root in us and guide us, that can distract us from the good things that God has for us to enjoy. It can take us away from his plans for us 
it has the potential for us to make bad decisions and make a car crash of things. So let's listen to the wisdom that God has for us. Let us be aware of and use emotions, but keep in check those emotions that are not good or unhelpful. It's not easy, I know, but God can help us with this. He can give us self-control. We only need to spend time with him and ask him to help us achieve this. God is a generous God who wants to help us. He won't hold these things back from us if we ask. There is one last piece of this passage that I would like to talk about before moving on to an appropriate form of anger. That is, why does it say at the end, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going on, going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Well, there was a practical application for the time that this was written in. Jesus was telling those that call themselves brothers and sisters to settle grievances and issues outside of a courtroom. Because once you step into a courtroom, it becomes a legal process and likely someone will get thrown in jail or there'll be other just legal consequences rather than gracious forgiveness. But there is also imagery here for us that makes it applicable to us here today and not just in the practical settling of arguments outside of a courtroom, but also in that our high judge is God himself, and God being a forgiving God who forgives us for our sins. Why should he forgive us if we don't forgive those around us? Surely that would be hypocritical. Later in Matthew 6 verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That may have been a stark wake-up call to some of you. What? God is a forgiving God, so why would he not forgive me for this? Well, when you become a Christian and you give your heart to God, the Holy Spirit takes up home in your heart. The Holy Spirit guides you and prickles your conscience when you make mistakes. The Holy Spirit will prompt you to forgive others. People forgiving others is a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. So it may be a delayed response, but God does lead us not only to a place of forgiveness for our own sins, but the forgiveness of others. So don't let negative or unhelpful emotions stop you from doing the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life and others. Now I said earlier that I would talk about a right form of anger. Sometimes anger is the appropriate response to things that are unjust. Yes, there are times when anger can be okay when something evil or sinful has happened and God has given you a righteous and holy anger for something. For example, like that time later in Matthew 21 when Jesus went into the temple and saw the money lenders and tax collectors and others abusing the temple by taking advantage of people in the market. Jesus was angry because people who had come to worship God were having money stolen from them in dodgy market deals whilst buying their sacrifices. So he flipped the tables and told them all to leave. But this is not the norm for us, friends. We are not perfect. And even when we are feeling an anger that is just, we probably won't transfer that to the right decision and anger perfectly. Only Jesus could do that perfectly. And yet that's not what we see Jesus doing most of the time, is it? And it's certainly not what we see him doing at the cross, is it? At the cross, that's where we see God the Father pouring out all his anger on God the Son, Jesus. That's where we see God's perfect and fully just and fully righteous anger about all the sin that has happened in the world. You see, God 
is perfect. His holiness is absolute. So for him, even the slightest hint of sin is absolutely abhorrent to him. He hates sin, for it is sin that causes trouble in the world. It is sin that ruins everything. Just like how in Genesis, when God created the world, he said it was good. It was good. Good is an undervalued word uh, in, in these days. In this context, Good means nothing else needs to be added to it. It's perfect the way it is. And because God himself is good, of course his creation is good. And then Satan, the deceiver, comes into the Garden of Eden and persuades Eve and then Adam to essentially bring sin into the world. From that point on, the world becomes broken and mankind was set to suffer and be born into this sinful world. Which means the coronavirus that we have in our world right now is not part of some sadistic game that God is playing with the devil. It is the result of sin being brought into the world. It is the result of the fall of man and God's creation. Everything in our world is affected by this and everyone is born into this sinful state. And because God hates sin, everyone is in real tangible danger of being subject to God's wrath on judgment day. Even dear friends or family members of ours that are not Christians right now, who others would say they are good people, they do good things and they genuinely care about others. Even those people are subject to God's wrath on judgment day. So if God hates sin that much and we are born into this sinful state, how does anyone get to stand before him both literally and spiritually? Well, the answer on one hand is not easy. They must be absolutely spotless. They must be completely without sin, which logically is impossible. If we are born into sin, it's impossible for us to be without sin. But on the other hand, there is Jesus. There is Jesus, our wonderful and blessed Saviour. He takes the hit for us. He takes our place. And those sacrifices that we don't have to do anymore, that was because of Jesus. Jesus took the place of the sacrifices and became the ultimate and final sacrifice He had every right as a son of God to say, you know what, I don't have to save this wicked and horrible race. I can stand here and be angry at their sin. But instead, as I've already said, he humbly and graciously and lovingly takes the place of us. It should be us taking the wrath of God, but Jesus does that for us. Can you imagine the weight of all that sin on one man? The sin of many, many, certainly countless souls in our finite minds. God, of course, knows every single one because they're written in the book of life. There is no anger from Jesus at that point. Instead, he asked God to forgive those that put him on the cross. His words are to the effect of, they don't know what they're doing, Father. They don't understand. Please forgive them. How scandalous is that? How ridiculous is that? But also, how scandalously and ridiculously amazing and good. I have some strong Scottish heritage on my mum's side, the Frasers, so I get chills whenever I hear Amazing Grace played on the bagpipes. I'll never forget my granddad Fraser's funeral and the bagged piper playing solo. Because it's sobering and joyful all in one. You remember God's wrath and how awful it is to be in that place. But also you remember Romans 5 verse 9 which says, Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
So if you're here this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are and whenever you are listening to this and you are thinking, how do I avoid God's wrath? That he is so right to pour upon me. Well, in Jesus, there is hope. In him, there is eternal joy, peace and oneness with him to be had permanently. As soon as your name is in the book of life, it's in there. No matter how hard you try, you will not be scrubbed out from that book because guess what? Jesus' sacrifice is perfect, absolute and enough for any sin you have in your life. Friends, please don't miss this invitation to let Jesus into your life. Please don't wait until the day he comes again and you are subject to God's wrath. It'll be too late then. Just pray. Praying is just talking, but it's to an almighty being who cares about what you're saying. And he wants to hear something as simple as, Dear Heavenly Father, I am sorry for all the sin in my life. I know I need your help. I believe in you. Will you help me? Will you take my heart and my soul and my everything in your hands and bring me into your family? And you know what God the Father is going to say? Hmm, let me think about that. Maybe I should total up your sin, see if you're worth it, and then put it on the waiting list. No, of course not. He is going to swoop you up in his arms and welcome you into the family. He will call you son or daughter. You'll be one of his children. This gift of grace that God offers is free, friends. It's free. You have heard skeptical people say there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, guess what? There is. And you only need to reach out with a few words and welcome God into your life. It's that simple. So please don't delay if you are in need of that. If you need help with doing that and meeting Jesus, don't feel like you have to do that on your own. Reach out to someone you know in the church. Or if you're in a life group, talk to your life group leader. If you're not in a life group, firstly, what are you doing? Get in one. They're fantastic. Why would you want to miss out on community and building good relationships? If you want to get in one but don't know how, please email contact at gracecity.ca. And if you already know Jesus, then great. But this is still for you. None of us should ever get tired of being reminded how good and godly our Father in Heaven is. He gave his Son for us so that we might be saved. I'm going to finish there, but before I do, let me just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we have your word to guide us. Thank you that we get to read it and have it in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to receive it and receive it well. If there is anyone here that is listening to this and that is struggling particularly with feeling angry, whether that be because of a situation or a person, please do meet with them powerfully. Please guide them to resolution and forgiveness. Blessed is the peacemaker. And Jesus was the mightiest of all of them. Help all of us, Father, to be blessed peacemakers, to deal with those unhelpful emotions well when they come. But also, Father, help us to enjoy the other emotions. Help us to find joy in the worst of circumstances. Help us to find joy now in the midst of COVID-19. Even when people we know are getting sick or losing their lives or when we lose our jobs or whatever it might be in this time, help us to find you and to find your life-giving joy and peace in this time. We love you, Father, and we are so thankful that you gave your son to us. We are thankful that all those years ago, you poured out your wrath and anger on Jesus so that we could become spotless and without sin in your eyes. 
so that we can have our names written in the book of life for eternity. Thank you, Father, and bless us mightily as we go forth from here, as we go about our lives and the days to come. Help us to be ever more Christ-like. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.